identity is the minute you pin it down, it's like, it's no longer true anymore because identity is constantly changing and we're constantly Ooh, evolving. This got juicy fast. Thank you. And so, <laughs> so like saying I am blank, it could be true right now in this moment, but ultimately that's going to change. So this process will need to continue happening over the course of one's life because you just won't ever have the same answer every single time you ask. And that's why you test things. Hello, everyone. Now we're recording. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hey, welcome to, I guess, what is essentially the last episode, certainly of 2020. I'm recording the intro, actually, before leaving for our New Year's festivities. It is New Year's Eve, as we say. And I guess I have to determine whether or not this is the last episode of season three or simply the last episode of 2020. It's probably going to be the end of season three. It's been a good season. I feel ready for new stuff, even though I try to remember that the whole New Year thing is inherently uh, made up. But <laughs> And part of my shtick is to not get too caught up in the, uh, you know, the things we make up. I'm a big fan of what makes sense, and it's rooted in uh, what's consistent, and yada, yada, yada. I'm not sure that thinking of the year as ending and starting in December really makes a whole lot of sense. Starting in December and January makes a whole lot of sense, but I get it. And best to just go with it for a bit before we, uh, well, figure out a different way. Anyway, Happy New Year. I know you'll be hearing this at the start of, so to speak, 2021. I promise I'll get off that rare, that annoying soapbox. But, yeah, the whole thing, remember, it's what we make of it. It's still a choice. A lot of choices we have to make, but that is living. That is life. Just because it's a new year, let's not get caught up in the fiction and the fantasy here. It, uh, we're still going to have to make the same choices, no matter what you do, to take care of yourself, to organize your shit. Keep your ship moving in the ship, I said ship that time, moving in the direction you choose. And that requires some practice. It does require practice. No matter where or who or when. And that's good, because the alternative is not living. <laughs> Which I guess is a nice segue to the conversation you're about to hear with an old friend, a young, a young friend, but someone I, I've known for a while, and I think we're friends now. I think we've been friends, and it, it feels good to call her a friend. She's a, a really, as you'll know, as you'll notice, um, extremely present and clear and patient and consistent person, and it is, yeah, it's an honor to be able to I think we're friends. We'll find out. I'll find out for the intro. Outro. This is the intro. 
Um, it's episode 15, Sarah Romanus. Sarah Romanus. She wrote something for me to say, and I'll paraphrase. Um, there's something at the end of our conversation about uh, something to do with heavily focusing on philosophy or theory and how that can lead, maybe lead to inaction. Um, I think what she's wanting to clarify is kind of what I, I guess, I guess really is one of the critical quintessential points that theory, ideally embodying concept and, um, habit, like movement pattern and habit pattern and lifestyle, ideally embodying that is what we do. So for action to be, for action and theory or concept to be married is critical. I believe that's what she's speaking to. So she told me to word it however I felt would be appropriate, and that's apparently what I said. Uh, (laughs) And I don't know if that needed clarifying, but you'll find out as you listen. Other than that, she is, I'll say, a local. Uh, I don't know why I squeaked there. She's a local. And she comes to Koru sometimes. She did especially before COVID started, before everything shifted in March. And it's a pleasure to know her. Thank you for joining me, Sarah. Here you all are. Enjoy yourselves. And I do welcome you. I wish you a good 2021, of course. Let's just remember it doesn't actually mean anything. We have to make it mean something. Okay, thanks. Bye. Enjoy. All right, so what was I saying? Oh, the... Yeah, where the couch was in the front, it's now a cafe set. And we're actually pretending, we're not going to call it native, uh, because I don't think we want to be that localized. Like, give it, we don't want to pretend we're actually in Doylestown. Um, But we are going to be using footage from outside of native, just like, did you ever watch Seinfeld? No. There's a restaurant, actually, it's near Columbia. Actually, uh, 112 and Broadway. It's it's where they always went and ate their little diner. But the scenes before they would, before showing you the group of them sitting in the diner, it would just, there'd be a shot of the word restaurant. So you, you just know that's where they're going. It didn't say the name of the restaurant. It was just this shot that you knew, oh yeah, they're in the restaurant now. A nice little transition. So we're going to do that with Jay's place with native and just be cafe and we'll pretend we're there when we are filming in our cafe set. That's awesome. Fun. You got yeah, a little <laughs> sponsorship going for them. <laughs> well, yeah, not that they need it. They are doing, do you, have you been? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. They, I don't think they need much help. If anything, they're going to inevitably just need a bigger space. I, um, I'd really, yeah, I'm happy to support them. I went there this morning. Um, we actually have a couple things like that that's going to be part of that show room at the table. Some musical guests that are going to join. Uh, Joshua Howard being the main one we've booked at the moment. He's been on. He was on the show. That was a fun episode. If you want to check that one out, I think you might dig that one. Uh, he's a really sweet guy. He was on The Voice. I didn't even know he was on The Voice when we were talking. But like, oh, okay. 
Wonderful. <laughs> I love when things like that happen. I'm glad I didn't know. Um, <laughs> oh, and Barefoot Botanicals. We're going to do a, uh, an episode over there with them. Awesome. I love their yeah. products. Exactly. And yeah, friendly and faces at the farmer's market. Very friendly. Very friendly. Yeah, I don't think we'll get there before. It'll be late winter, most likely, early spring. So be a lot of hopefully new products or certainly just new crops to show off. Something to look forward to. What products of theirs do you use? The hydrosols. Got it. And they're sprays, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. I think I used to buy them for just spraying more topically, like skin and face. Um, I think I still have a few that I just keep recycling and putting in my own oils. Don't they make them for drinks now, like in ones that you can take in internally? Not just those syrups, but don't they make the hydrosols for like cocktails? Well, and the, um, the hydrosols you can take internally. Okay, you From always From my could. understanding. So I Got know it. some people like spray it in their water. I've never done that before. I've always used it topically as well, but. Actually, it's my deodorant, yeah. Supposedly. <laughs> yeah, well, if you spray in your armpits, you might as well, or spray in your face, you might as well be able to drink it. I don't know the rules with that stuff either. But I love the products, yeah. I you use their syrups. You can ask them when they are on the, sh on the show. We will, we will. Yeah, and their syrups. You have have you had those? Yeah. Mm -mm. No. No, I've never tried them. Is that a sugar thing? I just have never purchased it. Got it. They're pretty good. I like the lavender one. Good lavender. You might. I know. I don't know exactly what cacao means for you, but if it means if any, if it ever is like having hot chocolate, some lavender syrup would go nicely. I think. I'm sure it would. <laughs> I had some hot chocolate with um, crushed rose petals on it the other day. Exactly. Throw a little lavender syrup. You've got yourself quite a cocktail. Exactly. <laughs> I, I put it in the mushroom hot cocoa that I drink pretty regularly. What is the cacao? You've definitely, I know you've explained it to me before. Is that even really relevant for you still? Not so much now. Okay. But I definitely have drinking my fair share of cacao in the past. <laughs> Ceremonially, right? That's the idea. There's a sort of ritual behind it. Yeah. So ceremonial cacao comes from Central and South America. There's some native strains um, that are tended to by some of the indigenous farmers in those regions. And the, I think the main thing that makes it, it ceremonial is that they're crushing up the entire cacao bean and never separating the pieces of it. And so it includes all of like the really rich fats and the cacao butter. And of course it's like processed with certain intentions and it was used in rituals and ceremonies in the past. What do you experience? Cause it isn't really, it's not psychedelic, right? No. Yeah. No, it's not. But it is considered a master plant, which is um, just like a plant, from my understanding, is like a plant that has a significant influence and relationship with people. And so people typically drink cacao in a ceremonial setting for like connection and communication and 
um, opening the heart. So it really has a lot to do with the intention that you choose to, to drink it with. Relatively related, there's a great book that was made into a movie called Chocolat that kind of touches on some of that in the beginning for what it's oh, worth. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's not, bad. it's not a bad book. Pretty I like f- the title. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, trying to give it that French flair. Um, it was a cute movie. I think it was considered to be pretty good, but the book was actually pretty neat, and they did talk about some of that and the ways that, especially, I think, putting hot pepper with the cacao was a really important um, blend. Cayenne, I think, in particular. I could be wrong. Cayenne. Yeah, some of the ones that I have have tasted in the past have cayenne in them. I like that a lot. Yeah, that Mexican style, so to speak. I'm not sure if that's the right way to word it, but I like that a lot. Well, that was my tactful way to try to bring us into this. So here's the... <laughs> we'll just so let's read get it. started. <laughs> like we said, let's just read it. Um, what You wrote this on October 5th. Like we said, it was over two months ago. Mm-hmm. And you said, love to do it later this fall. So there's been a lot of buildup to this episode. So much suspense. (laughs) I hope it lives up. (laughs) And what you wrote, direct quote here, was, I'm actually doing some excavation work of my identity and inheritance right now and feel I will have more fun speaking to this in the next couple of months. And here we are. (laughs) So I've been waiting with bated breath to find <laughs> no pressure. What have you found? What can you share? <laughs> Besides laughing about it, which is lovely. What can you tell us? Or me? Well, <laughs> well it is it is in us because people, there's a third person here in audience. Um, I... Yeah, I'm really glad you read that back to me because I knew I shared something along those lines with you and it was like a very specific language and I like the way that you enunciated all of the the words. I wanted it to be clear. Very clear. So what I have done, this was actually, I, I feel as if I was moving in the direction of understanding more about my identity anyway on a personal level. But then in September, I started working with a small kind of startup organization that is called the Inheritance Project. And they work on unpacking inheritance and inheritance not as what we inherit physically um, when someone passes away or like a house, but the kind of unseen, invisible things that we inherit, like culture, belief systems, um, patterns traits, all of these more subtle inheritances. And so being interested in this in a personal way and then working with them and this being their mission and what they help walk like clients through, I really started to dive into who am I (laughs) and what makes me me? A question that I will probably be asking for the rest of my life. Um, think and, so? You, you don't think... Well, have you come up with any relevant answers? Can you have answers along this journey? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, identity is the minute you pin it down, it's like it's no longer true anymore because identity is constantly changing and we're constantly Ooh, evolving. This got juicy fast. Thank you. And so, <laughs> so like saying I am blank, it could be true right now in this moment, but ultimately that's going to change. So this process will need to continue happening over the course of one's life because you just won't ever have the same answer every single time you ask. Um, so <laughs> what else? This is such a consistent theme in s almost every aspect of my life right now. I'm so glad we're discussing this. This, I'm, I'll frame here. That, I just want to put this out there. Solidity and fluidity. That, that's kind of the, the framing that I'm going to probably inevitably want to unpack with you in this context. But, but go on. I, I'm interrupting you. I hate doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so th the framework that, um, we used in the organization that I was a part of, um, is about different aspects of identity. So it kind of, there's a framework to look more specifically at certain aspects of identity, such as like culture or country, creed, color, um, class things like that. So what I meant by excavating my identity is that there were things that I had never thought about before that really inform who I am as a person and the way I show up in the world. So for example, something really surprising to me was that the fact that I grew up in a suburb really influences who I am. I mean, there's such a thing as suburban culture, you know, certain norms that we have like at our schools or even what clothes you wear living in Bucks County as a teenager growing up like a predominantly white suburb of middle to upper class people. So there's all of these like nuanced little things that inform the way that I am in the world that I just had not taken the time to really think about. And being a suburban person was one of them. Okay. Wasn't sure if you were pausing. I didn't want to interrupt you again. So why is that important? Of course, I mean, I'm pretty confident I know why it's important for you, but I'm not sure it's inherently, I'm not sure it's implicit why this is important. In other words, why is it good, I would, I'm using that word on purpose, mm -hmm. to excavate, to explore the, I would, you didn't use this word, but I'm going to call them stories, mm. the stories that frame our sense of self, aka identity. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think it's necessarily obvious, why is that important to do? You kind of said it with respect to how identity I, you end up lim you, you didn't, again, these are my words, you limit yourself. But that's not, I don't know if that's obviously a problem or obviously so, something to be con aware of. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. I'll share why it's important to me. I can't speak for why it's important to other people. I have found that it's important to me because as I understand more aspects of my identity, I'm forced to hold multiple truths at one time because I am multiple things at once. I have to hold more and more and more. So my capacity to hold 
potentially conflicting parts is expanded. And when I can do that, I can better connect with and understand the people around me. It creates more space for everyone else in my life to be a multifaceted person. And so in seeing more of myself, I'm able to see and hold more of, of other people as well. And I think that it's been the biggest gift that I've experienced in this work because it has deepened my connections with people and just allowed me to have more, more genuine compassion and empathy for like the human experience. Which sounds like a great thing. And I appreciate you saying it in that essentially sort of affirmative, positive sense. And of course, not wanting to overgeneralize, like lumping everybody into this one big bubble. But I think, okay, so I'll, I'll do that for you then. and Or at least I'll do that and see what you think, which is to suggest, I'll suggest that it's good to do what you're describing for no matter who you are, because the there's a danger in well because there's a danger in i guess getting too attached you could say to your beliefs and your opinions and your inevitable identity and i think the danger is really simple it's it limits the potential for something new it limits the potential for growth and too much of that well <laughs> think gets us into trouble individually and collectively i would say so okay there yeah so in that regard to me that's that's like a basic preface for why it's important to do this and i wonder why we don't i, th I guess we can probably figure that out too or at least why do you think we don't well i think it's conventionally undervalued for one thing um maybe a little scary in for some people in some respects but maybe yeah even just that sense of it being undervalued i don't think we place enough value or any sometimes on the mystery of existence like the literal need not just like it's it's nice to remember now and then but the actual need to remember that there's a there's always going to be a mystery. I'm very careful not to speak in absolutes because I I see the danger in that. The, it's equally dangerous. It's as dangerous as getting too attached to an identity. It's a really it's a razor's edge. One of my favorite books ever written, The Razor's Edge. It's a mate. It's a very difficult tightrope to walk. Um, it takes constant checking in <laughs> and. I think it's, but I think it's possible. I think it, I think it gets easier too, the more you practice it. Like it isn't really always a razor's edge. It can become a, a relatively more um, comfortable path with a lot of, with a foundation. Mm -hmm. which is kind of what I'm really curious about. Like, do you think somewhat paradoxically that you're, you're kind of describing like a tabula rasa, like let's, let's, clean up a bit let's find a blank slate because there's probably a lot of uh, uh habituation like you said the habits the patterns um they're rooted in things that i don't necessarily know if i 
uh, want to embrace. So I need to check in on all of that. But can you eventually then have a foundation? And that's what I meant by solidity and fluidity. There's this, <laughs> mm. it's so consistently coming up for, for me with everybody right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't think that's just because of me. I'm the common denominator, but I don't think that's just it. There's some need that we're, we're hitting on where there's like, let's, let's let that sort of blankness, so to speak, which is just a concept anyway, mm-hmm. be there to the extent that it can be and have a foundation. Can't we do both? Yes. <laughs> Okay. Okay. I believe <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> um, because I feel as if I'm experiencing it right now. And I'm really glad that you're bringing this up because those are seemingly opposites. But when I talk about this holding of multiple experiences at once and holding multiple truths, this is an example of one of those truths that you can hold. Can I be both this right now and know that I am a blank slate that will be constantly changing over time. Yes, I can. And in my experience from, for myself, the, that foundation is my choice, my choices and my values. And so the thing that feels really sturdy to me is chosen, chosen values um, that are formed in I want to use the word presence, but it's like, I'm just trying to communicate that these values are my own and they're chosen. They're not coming from that place of habituation or from inheritance. Mm. And those chosen values are really what I stand on. And there's all this room to be different and have these different identities while I'm still standing on these values as this. Well, there's room for something new. Mm-hmm. Because if you negated the need for something new, you'd be right back where you were, right? As, in other words, the solidity doesn't mean completion. The solidity no. doesn't mean you're fully cooked. You're done. You're pack, you, you wrap it all up, put a bow on it. She's done. He's done. It's no. a framework. Exactly. Yeah. I, I like to think of it as a foundation because we, you know, we use these words like grounded and we think grounded is a thing that people do often value, like being mm-hmm. grounded. What does that really mean? It just means there's, you're rooting and standing upon something. There's something you're rooting yourself into. And the key that you pointed out is deliberately you've chosen it. And then you can allow for newness for something new. I think the mm-hmm. problem that we get with respect to identity, we forget the need for the newness or we forget the need for the foundation. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. It's definitely a, a challenging balance to strike. Well, but we're laughing about it. I don't see it as challenging for you. And I'll be honest, quite frankly, it doesn't, I don't think it's challenging. Eventually, (laughs) eventually, does it? Okay, that's curious. Because I'm learning how to do it. (laughs) Oh, oh, it's something you practice. Yeah, you're learning how to do it. It's almost like you're relearning how to learn. Yes. Well, 
you know, Fel- all right, so Feldenkrais, you know, obviously mm-hmm. that's one of the tools that I use in generally like the movement context of co- of what I do with yeah. people. Mm-hmm. But it's all, it's literally what it is. It's relearning how to learn, learning how to learn in a different way. Maybe that's what you're describing is the need, the challenge is remembering that learning is a lifelong learn being willing to learn is part of your life forever not this first stage it's not like i'm done the learning to think you're done the learning is probably the main problem okay (laughs) i'm in agreement and i i feel like i just want to bring the word humility into this because to me that someone said to me that humility is the gateway to growth because if you cannot walk through the gate of humility if you cannot be humble enough to say i don't know or i need to learn i have more to learn then how how can you grow how can you move move forward amen well you and i you you used to like russell Mr. Brand, right? Did you? Yeah. We, yeah. I've he, actually, yeah, I listened to an episode recently that he had with Dia Khan. I didn't hear that one, but the, well, you just, McConaughey was on, Matthew McConaughey, and he, he gave, a, I'm pretty sure it was him, he gave a beautiful definition of humility. It's the um, awareness and the willingness to continue to learn. That's it. The will and the desire mm-hmm. to continue to learn. Always. That's it. And I, I actually, that too has been coming up time and time again. Maybe I need to make sure I'm being humble enough or something. <laughs> and I, but I do ask myself that because the, again, a bit of a paradox, like if you recognize what we're describing, it's energizing. Like I, it brings me pleasure to, to see, wow. Yeah. That's, that's a really joy. It brings me pleasure and joy to know that and to have that sense of myself in relation to everything that I'm here to learn. And it makes me happy. Like I genuinely feel that way. I don't think that I'm lacking humility by saying that, but I do wonder, well, no, I don't, can you, this, this has been coming up a lot with people. Can you put the foundation into, can you, like take education. I, I value education. I think education mm-hmm. is probably the most important um, kind of group tool. Mm-hmm. But what is it if not the means of maintaining that foundation from generation to generation? What is it? What is the point of education if not to keep that foundation alive? And alive means it's it has a, there are certain pieces to it, which we have agreed upon, and it will change. Mm-hmm. Okay. Doesn't seem like that's bothering you. What's the problem? <laughs> <laughs> Were you saying that to bother me? <laughs> no, it's just like, I'm always looking for, for holes, you know, like where's. Where's the hole in humility? Is that what you're trying to find? No, where, like, in what I just described about, like, why we educate, what's the mm-hmm. point of education? Like, mm. I'm wondering if there's something I'm missing. 
and what you hmm. what you see in that is the point of education Hmm. Oh, that brings up such an interesting question because I just wanted to say that isn't the point of education to pass on knowledge, but I, I think that's kind of the same thing. Yeah. It's just a different word for knowledge. Yeah. The foundation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But with education, I almost feel, so it's passing on knowledge and it's, but it's not just passing on knowledge because it's, could it also be teaching a way of being because with this humility and this willingness to learn continually, that also feels like it needs to bake, bake into that. Into Makes sense the to me. Passing on of knowledge as well. Well, yeah. Couldn't that, well, I think that again comes back to the primary issue, which is partly why you need to pay attention to your identity because it seems like, we relate to the process of learning as something that's supposed to stop. Mm -hmm. And therefore the educating process is presented as a, a, a process with an ending. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you just don't, if you just don't do that, then the education process is better. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, uh, why don't I'm people want to learn? <laughs> right. That's a kick-ass question. Um, and I, yeah, let's play with that. This is this is this is fun. Um, I don't know if it's on purpose. I doubt that it's normally on purpose. Like, if people, if most of us recognize that learning is something we need to do for all of life, and that there's good that that's good. I don't think anybody would consciously say, "No, I don't want to do that," because that implies that you're you're done and you think you're done. I think if we recognize that that's a subtle way of disengaging with everything, especially with I mean it's it's honest to sound really dramatic, it's kind of like a way of resigning to mm -hmm. to being to no longer being alive. And if you, I think if we really recognize that that's actually kind of what's happening, if you think that you're done learning, you're kind of done living. I don't think anybody would want to do that if they understood that. I agree. <laughs> I don't think... No functional animal would... Yeah. Yeah, when you're conscious of it, it's right. you, you would want to. But So maybe, maybe the deeper question then comes to why aren't people conscious because there are a lot of people who are done learning um and who you know are 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 resigned in a way you know that's kind of a reality of of the state of a lot of people in the world right now and in in my from my perspective and so maybe the question is not why aren't people choosing because maybe they don't have the consciousness to choose. So I actually think it comes to something that you posted recently on Instagram about if you had a silver bullet tool, it would be self-awareness. And I wanted to bring that into this conversation because I, it, it probably just goes deeper to that, that some a lot of people, myself being one of them, like we have, limited awarenesses and our, our awarenesses are expanding 
And as, <laughs> as we expand, we can learn things like, um, wow, I'm not open to learning. I'd like to change that. But first, we need to have that awareness. And it, it largely does come back to what you opened with, which is inheritance and identity and the extent to which that informs how we educate, not literally just in schools, but uh, sort of indirectly and in families and the stories. Like, really, I think, I don't always like the sound, I, I don't like the idea that I'm always pointing out problems. And I don't think I, don't think I am. It's just, I'm ex I find this this way of exploring information to be really valuable and energizing. And yeah, I, I really like it. I don't think that it's negative. I, I, I it's a little, that's like a self-conscious thing. I worry, like, does it seem negative? I don't think so. I think it's just really good practice to, I think you have to understand what's happening in order to, to some extent, I think you have to understand where you are and why you're there to move forward. Um, and I believe it's likely that we've unintentionally and, and without knowingly, without doing it on purpose, prioritized uh, needing to get somewhere and to finish and to have an ending and to be complete. And there's probably an element of our foundation of, of why that's the case. It's probably rooted in larger stories like unfortunately translation of Christianity, but it probably goes even further back than that. But I'm willing to say that's a big, big part of it specifically because I think that the inevitable, um, well, the, the prioritization of life after death essentially is to say you're prioritizing an ending and it has nothing, this is secondary to that place, that fantasy land. And I think that has unintended effects on how we relate to ourselves and to each other and to uh, life itself. We end up wanting to have excessive control over everything because as long as, because it just makes sense to us. Like, well, we've got to keep it neatly organized and tight and complete uh, because that that's that's just what matters. That's what's good. And if we don't, then it'll be chaotic and it'll spiral out of control. And that's where you get into silly arguments about capitalism versus socialism. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and that, that just like comes right back to one of the, the core like tenets of, of this like identity work, which is holding multiple truths at once and being okay with the complication that is the, our reality. I don't even want to call them multiple truths. I know you've said that a couple of times and mm -hmm. <clears throat> since you said it again, I don't even think we should give much credence to the uh the one concept like just let's just recognize that reality require like what's true about reality is that as a human mm -hmm. like that self-awareness is what we is the complexity or the um apparent paradox but it isn't really that it's just 
how life works. As a human, we can see we are and we are becoming. Mm -hmm. We can't, and if you don't maintain that awareness, if you don't live that way, you're imposing unintended limitations upon yourself and potentially upon others. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I don't think people are doing that intentionally. No, I don't know. I don't either. I think yeah. it's extremely... Uh, this this reminds me of a conversation we had years ago. All of a sudden, this just really reminded me of something from years Please ago. Please share. Well, being and becoming. I somehow remember saying that in a conversation we had years ago. The need to... And I'm. it's a, it's a very basic tenet of... Uh, more modern Western philosophy, the, the understanding that being human is essentially a process, a never-ending process, you could call it self-awareness, of both being as you are and becoming something new over and over and over. And if you remember that, then you're probably not going to try to impose too much control upon others and upon all of life and existence, et cetera, et cetera. I think we had a conversation like this back at my old place in the, in the cottage. It's possible. It de definitely sounds like the genre of conversations we would typically have. Yeah. So yeah. I want to go back to just one thing you said, which about the multiple truths. Please. It is the truth that reality, snow, I do. I'm looking at it <laughs> out the window. Um, it is true. Yeah. That reality, that that's just the way reality is. And maybe what I'm saying is more the skill that, that we're hoping to help people cultivate. So maybe that's the, the discernment between <clears throat> like what I was saying and Right. It's not that like, let's try and see reality this way. It's like, this is reality. And how can we help people cultivate the skill to hold multiple truths? Because right now that's very hard for a lot of people. And I think it's been hard for people for most of our humanity history. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like that's a common human challenge for, for based on what we've learned throughout history. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yes, yes, that's a skill. Mm -hmm. It is a skill, and I, I love that you call it that. Yeah, it's a, it's a tool. It's that's self awareness. That's obviously, and I appreciate you. Thank you for referencing that. That's what I would call self awareness for sure. Mm -hmm. That skill, yeah. And I do believe that that's the most important skill in our current time period. In our current toolbox. Well, in our current context, uh, where we are as a species, you know, I imagine I'm interested in generally speaking, just like moving forward. And I think we've stifled that unintentionally for a tragically long time. Mm -hmm. And I'm largely, I think, optimistic and hopeful for us to move, to actually move forward. That possibility is largely what energizes me. Because I want to, you know, I'm a, like, 
geek. I want to like go explore. I want Star Trek essentially. I want to go discover new worlds and and new peoples and um generally speaking the new i think new is extraordinarily beautiful and good not new in opposition but new as in that which was hmm the the seed of creativity i think is allowing for newness is recognizing that something new wants to emerge and letting that happen god i mean so how do you do that in your life <sighs> there's so many there's so many different ways i mean just creating a child is that the most mm -hmm. i would say maybe mundane way as a, as a human that's what it is and continuing that both in terms of for me it has a lot to do with um, relationships writing and exploring newness in terms of my relationship with myself um yeah, generally it's just about relationships, allowing for something new. And of course, you don't want to only do that. I think that that's, again, part of the point is just the quote-unquote solidity and fluidity. If it's all new, that's probably, <laughs> you're going to probably feel a little tired and maybe a little cuckoo because you need to have that ground and you'll mm -hmm. just be kind of floating around and maybe spinning too quote unquote out of control like i don't want to only be on some kind of new trip all the time but i need i think it's good to it's necessary to welcome that now and again because i mean again in the most mundane sense like even just like tasting something new i'm gonna you you don't want to just have <laughs> the best meal all the time. That's not just a weird thing. You don't want to just eat donuts all the time. <laughs> Take that. I can't. I'm excited to try. Those are new to me. I'm excited to exactly. try Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to love it. <laughs> but new is like, I think, an oversimplified word maybe. It's just variety, diversity. The unexpected, the spontaneous, the mystery. Mm -hmm. It's just awful to deny that too much. To deny that, just it's so painful and depressing. But back to what you asked earlier, why, why is that maybe hard for people? I think we're just not, like you said, it's a skill. We're just not trained. We haven't trained ourselves to, to do it. Not in all contexts, not, not in certain contexts. Some people are really good at some contexts, mm -hmm. but then they don't necessarily know how to do it in others. And mm -hmm. then they can get stuck and that can be limiting and potentially really painful. So the only way that I know how to change that is to discover something new, especially with regard to identity. 
If you get yeah. too attached to the, your identity, mm-hmm. well, how the fuck are you going to handle when something unexpected happens that really doesn't jive with your current identity? You're going to have to update it and upgrade it. <laughs> yeah, update your the OS system. Especially in relationships. Uh, yes, the OS mm-hmm. system. Say you meet somebody or you become a mother. You're going to have to upgrade. Mm-hmm. What? How you were, this is so obvious, the more you just unpack it, right? It's like, duh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, stop it. Totally. And we also try on ones that are not really us, you know, the the one that the ones that we present to the world. I know I've definitely I was just thinking while you were saying that, that like like, masking or something. Yeah. Hiding and yeah, I mean, that's an, an, an identity is to put on a mask when you're with someone and then you're someone else like those are all just but you, you know, do it on identi- purpose identities that you're 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 wearing as costumes you know yeah but you're talking about doing it unintentionally right well people do it both both intentionally and unintentionally oh okay i'm yeah. thinking yeah. about like for myself i became really identified like especially when i was in college as like this really hardcore outdoors person and this like athletic person that would like run half marathons and sleep in a tent for two months and like do all of this really intense outdoors, outdoorsy stuff. And it's not that I didn't enjoy those things because I did, but it was like, it became too big of, of a part of who I was and, and I was using it as more of a sense of identity than like was, was really, it, it wasn't matching what it actually meant to me is what I'm trying to say. So I had to, to like investigate that and, and be like, what's this about? And, you know, readjust that like outward portrayal to like really reflect on the inside, like how, how I actually felt about that. And that, so I think that we go through those our entire life. You know, and I hope so. and it's right. so it's so I think it's it's kind of fun <laughs> to yes it can to be. like go into those <laughs> and and be like wow that <laughs> like just have I just have memories of some of the things I would outdoors things I would do and and just um yeah they they just like they weren't me they didn't resonate. I'm very curious what they are, but yes, the, it is fun, but I think you've developed that skill, which thank God it's fun. I, you know, one of my dorky little sayings these days is putting the fun and functional. I think that is an important distinction though. First off, it's f- functionality partly depends on that, allowing for, for the new mm-hmm. and it can be delightful it can bring you great pleasure and joy and therefore be fun if you allow it um yeah i know i i don't know anyone who hasn't when they're honest with themselves recognized the need to learn something new not just the desire but the need the uh, why would you even want to have all the answers? <laughs> it's yeah, insane. It's a, it's a pathological. 
But it, it, and it's a pathological tendency that is so normal and we don't even realize we're doing it. That's what's so goofy mm-hmm. about it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could say so much more about this and just like, I feel like I've just been on a journey with, with my own personal experience. And sometimes like when you become so absorbed into your own world or you're so like fixated on one thing, like you cannot see beyond that to even see that there are other things to learn, you know? And so I just, there's so much complexity to this topic. And I think so much of it is like in the dark for a lot of people. And it was for me, like, I I don't feel like I really got a sense of the depth of which there is still to learn until this year. And I've been talking about this, these topics for years. So even within like communities of people who, who do this work, like there's layers that reveal just as you become more, more aware. I don't know if this, if that makes sense. Uh, in general, to me, it does. And like you said, layers. Uh, yeah, I think it makes sense. It didn't sound, it just sounded like you igno- you're acknowledging um, for yourself the extent to which it, it surprises you how much more there is to learn in a way. Is that an oversimplification? No, that's that's perfect. And it's just that, I, I, I wasn't able to, to see that until a certain level, like of awareness unlocked within myself. And so I am just, and I, and I know that there is more, even more waiting for me that I am not yet aware of. And so it's all just, it's all just that never ending process basically is what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And you didn't, yeah. So it sounds like you just, your eyes opened more to how vast and how expansive it can be. Yeah. That's probably just an inevitable, I can relate to that. Yeah. I think I, when I was 20, was I 21, 20, I think it was 20. I was living in London I didn't know you lived in London. Well, I studied abroad. I think maybe that's more accurate to say. Gotcha. But, um, you know, when you're there for months, you mm-hmm. kind of feel like you're living there. Um, you get into routines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to school in London. More accurate. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll just say it that way. Um, yeah, I was 20. I had, And I was really studying primarily... Well, it was part of my general degree in um, religious studies or study of religion, as one professor preferred to say it. Uh, and I was really digging into Walt Whitman, Taoism, and Nietzsche. And it was a lot of fun. It was also really hard, <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Hard in the sense of like I could, like I was working on, I was exploring uh, in within, digging within to, to see what there was to see. Much like you hopefully would do with a meditation practice or a retreat or 
especially silent retreat. It was a lot like that in many ways. And the whole, it all kind of culminated with this, what felt like a grand awareness that it's always a process and everybody has their own process. Everybody's pr processing in their own way. It's all just a process yeah. that we're, and the more you can see that everybody's processing in their own way, wonderful. But, he, but at 20, I, that doesn't mean that I didn't continue to, like my brain didn't continue to explode in, in different ways over and over and over. The trap that I actually had to um, become more aware of was thinking that I had it all figured out. <laughs> so, because like, I unintentionally did that, and that's what I mean by that razor Z. Like you can trick yourself so easily. Like, oh my God, I've I've figured it all out. This I've got this amazing thing. Here I am. Look or look at this. Read that. Look, 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 look. It says that. Well, sure. Keep going. Great. And that, yeah, I, you're 27? 24. Four? Yeah, sure, you're, you're 85, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can remember over and over and over making the mistake of thinking I've got it all figured out and needing to remember uh, there's something new to see. So all I've gotten better at is welcoming that. Like the skill you're, that you say is a skill is, a, is something that you can get better at. Mm -hmm. Embracing and welcoming new. Mm -hmm. And you, can you, can, you get a good sense of like your tells. Like, uh-oh, I'm kind of closed off to that. But what is interesting to me these days more than ever is the potential for value in also being closed off to certain things. That sol that solidity, some even might call rigidity. Yes, and you that's that's actually necessary because if you so, what's coming up for me right now is that what I am experiencing as like a young person trying to identify a path forward of like a career or what am I going to dedicate like the majority of my time to working time, you know. Um, as someone who's coming from that perspective, there are so many options. It is, it can be paralyzing. There are so many, so many possibilities. I could do so many things. And what I've learned, especially in these past couple of months, is that if you don't have the rigidity, if you don't have the, the walls of like a, a direction or a path, or if you don't have like the solidity of, of an intention that's guiding you forward, you are not going to be able to walk very far mm. because you are going to be overcome with all the possibilities and you can't possibly pursue all of them. Um, something that I, I've been really thinking about is like pairing our it, attention with our intention. So creating an intention and then focusing our attention on that intention and that, that can be really powerful. But when you don't have those boundaries or what you're calling like this solidity, then Same your thing. attention yeah. is completely dispersed. And that's like, 
as humans, our attention is incredibly powerful. I mean, this is, this is what's making these um, social media companies so much money is our attention. It's an attention economy. And so like with this incredible power, like, we need we actually need that structure to to guide it or it, it actually can't really come into form. And so it's necessary. So necessary for movement forward, I would say. Like necessary for what? <laughs> yeah. I would say for movement, movement forward. Movement in general. Towards something. Yeah. 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 yeah towards yeah. the towards an intention. Right. That is seemingly forward. Right. And all we've highlighted is the need for you to continue to want that. Mm-hmm. Not to want that and stop, but to continue to want that. But isn't there a term like called choice paralysis or something? like Analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis. That's right. It has a nice <laughs> rhyme. I wrote that down too, but I thought it was a choice. But either way, yeah, that's exactly right. Um, one of my best professors back in college said the two main things that, in particular, our age group, if you will, even though I'm 95, even um, we're going to have to navigate two particular things. But it's true, everybody does because of social media, uh, mostly social media, but also probably a few other things. It is information overwhelm and information overload, and especially in the sense of not, as we now know, better than ever, being able to effectively discern what's valuable information. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly why I always come back to the body. If you're confused about what's going to happen by thinking and then acting like anything goes... Try that out on your body. And if you don't feel like garbage, then <laughs> I would be shocked. I, I would bet my bottom dollar that if you allow yourself to just act as if anything goes, there's no structure, there's no foundation, and just take your body on that, that wild ride, it's nuts. You're going to feel like garbage. <laughs> You're going to hurt yourself. Totally. And I don't see how that's something any healthy, functional individual would want and repeat. But what's so... I know a lot of men in particular um, who... I don't think it's obviously analysis paralysis, but it might be. I perceive, I could, I could be wrong about this, but I perceive that they're so, and this is a topic that we probably won't be able to get too far into because I'm actually thinking I should get home. <laughs> yes, watch watching this. the snow outside. <laughs> um, I knew it would, I, we knew it was coming. I just didn't know how much, and it is coming down pretty hard. But sorry, just to put a period on that, um, my perception is, I think, I think it can happen for women too. I don't know. I, I try not to speak for women because I, I know there, I believe there are really important differences um, in terms of how you experience yourself and in terms of, you know, I believe in gender. Let's just say that. But regardless of that little tangent, I see a lot of men who my take on what they're struggling with is the ability to 
take a stand and to have a have a spine in relationship to something, which is to say, it's almost like relativism is what they have allowed themselves to prioritize as opposed to a some kind of definitive position. Mm. Now, obviously, lots of people do the definitive side to excess, and that's, I think we can see how that's, we've already kind of explained how that's limiting and, and dangerous, essentially, to think you've got it all figured out. But to also think that you have to consistently allow for the relativism, to me, that's equally unfortunate. I see it a lot. I don't know if it has anything to do with fear or cancel culture or, you know, to whatever extent men are afraid of like mm. being uh, deleted, but. Well, it's I, not, mean, and I don't need that kind of bores me even just to even. When you take a stance on something, <laughs> you open yourself to be rejected. And yeah. I think that a lot of it comes down to that because if you, if you take a stand and say, this is what I believe, or this is the way I'm going to do something, then you're, it's vulnerable actually. And I think that there is a really big barrier to vulnerability in our culture right now. That's a beautiful point. And yeah, Brene Brown's work is obviously extremely relevant in that regard. And I, for all of us, yeah, the value of being vulnerable. And also, and thank you, that was, that's a good word to really bring into the mix. I think there's, I mean, we kind of already been saying this, but there's a, there's a need to own, but this actually be a great way to kind of come full circle, given where you kind of began with um, the uh, excavation <laughs> of your inheritance. You need to be able to see that that part of your OS, as you said, is mm -hmm. an opinion or is a belief. You need to be able to see that. Mm -hmm. And I, I realize as I say that, yeah, that's that's pretty obvious. You need to be able to discern that. And it's uh, it seems like that's increasingly hard for people with all this information and analysis paralysis, so to speak. The excess of uh, ideas can really yeah yes take your I, head for a, <laughs> a wild and pain uh, it's hard to see it's hard to witness people doing it so what i i hear you say that you want to wrap up and i actually f think i have a great last little well, thing begrudgingly to, i don't want to but <laughs> i do uh, uh, i do value driving home <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Well, it, with the work that I've been doing, um, kind of like the end part of, of these group um, workshops is that we have to be comfortable with unfinished conversations because they're like we've been talking about, there's no completion. So this is all just a continuation. But what I wanted to say was that I get really frustrated. Like I can even feel like frustration within myself during this, this conversation, because mm -hmm. I have 
I have thought about these topics for so long, for what has felt like years, for most of my adult life, I should say. And what I have really been stuck with, and this is a frustration that really came up when I was studying global development studies in college, was like that we were unpacking all this stuff and it was like all coming out. And then I was left with like, but what do we do about it? And I don't feel like I ever really got that answer when I was in, in the university um, because it felt like a very like intellectual space. And so what I am most interested in now is like, how do we actually move forward? Like, what does this actually look like in someone's everyday life? Or what does this actually look like in a community or as a culture, as a society? And how can we get started on that? You know, and so... Recently, I've actually discovered the work of someone named Otto Scharmer, who's a professor at MIT um, in the Sloan School of Management. And he has this um, theory that is really beautiful. And he talks about something called awareness-based social change. And it is fascinating. And I, I just love it. And in a lot of ways, he's given me vocabulary to speak about these things that I care about and already believe to be true. Um, but in his work, what he's really, he talks about leading from the emerging future and tuning into the future and what possibilities are there and allowing that to inform our present action. And he is trying to build what he's calling an action research university where he's actually doing research on how do we actually take action on these things, you know, because it's one thing to ideate about them. Like you were just saying, there's so many ideas, but to actually materialize them and bring them into form and, and iterate and practice and see what works and get feed immediate feedback and be bringing these things out into the world is what I'm personally very interested in and passionate about right now. And, and I actually feel that Koru is, is probably a really great example of this. Um, something that you are actually real time bringing into the world and starting to introduce these concepts and, and, and practices in a real way. Like you're, you're taking action on your ideas is, is the point I'm trying to make. And to me, that's where like the real, juices of all of this stuff i just typed it in i'm looking at a bit of it now and it looks fucking fantastic i'm gonna totally dig into this uh the re yeah i gotta research this this looks amazing and thank you for the the little connection um the, i'll take it as a compliment there at the end there but you nailed mm -hmm. it yeah the action uh, I don't. I have zero interest in just getting lost in theories. Zero. <laughs> I only. It's only important to me for the sake of better action and functional action. Action that supports yes possibilities, which you've got to be willing to take a slight gamble and trust yourself. Like that could be better. Let's you know. Let's try it. Let's try it. Yeah, you can't. You can't get caught up in worrying that you're going to fuck it up too much. Mm -hmm. You got to trust that you're smart enough. You've discerned enough. You know you're not, it's not perfect. You're going to keep learning. As long as you're not, you're sure that you're not harming anyone and yourself, try it out. Generally speaking, I think that's mm -hmm. great. 
this looks amazing. I'm going to dig right into this pretty much when I get home tonight, or I'll dig in tonight after I get home. And thank you. I do need to go. The snow is clearly what we were told it would be. They were not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we can do this again. I'm really grateful for you making your time and for this whole, yeah, for this whole conversation, part one of hopefully more. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. I feel like it's been a long time coming. I heard about this back in the early days when it had a different name and I'm glad to just finally be here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We switched it to movement matters relatively fast because there was some other both, both and was sort of blending in with the, the ether a little too much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I am loving it. I think it's one of my favorite creative outlets at this point. That's and, awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you for being part of it. It's delightful. Um, enjoy the snow. Do you like snow? I do. Good. Enjoy the snow. I will. <laughs> I'll see you later. Sounds good, Colin. See ya. Thank you. Bye. I think that was clear. Wasn't she clear? Seemed clear to me. That was quite a little ride, though. Yeah, we, we've always done that, Sarah and, Sarah and I. We go there. She likes it there. I like it there. It's a good place to uh, hang out for a bit. And like we said, make sure that the abstractions and the conceptualizations are linked with actual movements and habits and actions. That's the, that's personally, that seems like how you enjoy life to, for that to happen. And I guess that's called self-awareness, which I realized yesterday talking to my brother-in-law is probably the most common theme and really the, the main tool that we are advocating and uh, utilizing and integrating and constantly coming back to is self-awareness. It's the never-ending, it's the tool that keeps on giving and the journey that never stops. Self-awareness. And quote me on that. Okay, again, welcome to 2021. Hope to see you soon, intelligently, safely, carefully, respectfully, responsibly, and joyfully. Ta-ta for now. Thank you.